work of the Holy Spirit. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst, be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we've been looking at, uh, in the last few weeks and in the weeks that are fo- follow, um, you know, trying to gain an overview of the Bible's teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit. Very short study, because you could speak on this for all eternity, you know? So just... a, a Brief glimpse to try to figure out more fully what kind of activities have been especially delegated to the Spirit of God by God the Father and God the Son. We define the work of the Spirit as the work of the Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was many times manifested in the glory of God in Theophanies, in the Gospels. Jesus himself manifested the presence of God among men. But after Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of God among us. He is the one who is most prominently present with us now. So even in the Old Testament, it was predicted that the presence of the Holy Spirit would bring abundant blessings from God. Isaiah 44 and 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour my Spirit upon your offsprings and my blessings on your descendants. So the pouring out of the Spirit was likened to pouring water on thirsty land. Several prophecies in the Old Testament predicted a time when the Holy Spirit would come in greater fullness in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and then I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So in what specific ways does the Holy Spirit bring God's blessings to us? Well, we've looked in the last few weeks at a couple of things. We've looked at how the Holy Spirit indwells. We talked about how when you are uh, become a Christian, you are born again. And what makes you a Christian is not going to church. It's not calling yourself a Christian. It's not growing up in a Christian household. None of that makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you are born again by a supernatural manifestation of God, a work of God, because uh, you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And in calling upon him, recognizing you were lost, recognizing that Jesus and only Jesus was the way for you to get reconciled with God, you believed on what Jesus said in believing and calling upon the Lord, he cleansed you of your sins, and in cleansing you and purifying you, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's what makes you a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells. And then we looked at the next week and how the Holy Spirit purifies. He makes you more as you have a relationship with God and submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is, is leading you in life, you will find that you will become more godly. That means more God-like. You're not going to be God, but you're going to be God-like. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. When people see us over as we grow in life, they should have a reflection of who God is like, right? So when you're a Christian and you get cut off in traffic and you give them one of those fingers, 
we know instinctively that is not being God-like. Right? <laughs> Over time, you begin to realize, I probably shouldn't be doing that anymore. I don't think I bring honor and glory to God. Particularly when the person you did that to gets in front of you and they say, I go to so-and-so church. And then you read the bumper sticker and you realize, it's your church. <laughs> oh, wait, okay, let's get back. So the Holy Spirit purifies. Not only does the Holy Spirit purifies, we also saw last week how the Holy Spirit unifies. He brings us together, young, old, rich, poor, black, white. He brings us all together because we all are brought together by the, by the work of the Spirit of God that unifies us. Today, we want to look at how the Holy Spirit infills. And I titled it, The Holy Spirit Infills, because even though I'm talking about what most of us in the Pentecostal church understand as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I don't want to just get caught up in a one-time experience. So I called it the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to use as a text for this morning, Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. The Bible says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying, this is the will of God. This is what he's saying. The will of God is that you be not drunk with Budweiser or Coors or Schlitz or uh, vodka or gin or rum or whatever the case may be. Be not drunk with wine. So just so you read, I'm going to read in contemporary context. This is a Rick Helgero translation. Be not drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I'm going to, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I chose to, uh, to title this again, Infilling of the Holy Spirit, because the empowering of the Spirit is not intended to be an event. It's not to be a one-time experience that happens once in our lives as Christians and then we check it off our list. No, the empowering of the Spirit is to uh, reoccur and to continue and be constantly flowing in and through the Christian life. The first thing the Apostle tells us is not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. That reminds me of the initial outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Now, I'm going to read this in a minute, but I just want to, I just kind of feel like that as, it's not just going to wait till the end, but as I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit is going to fall on some of you. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. Let him have his work, right? Holy Spirit, come. Because he's going to fill everyone that wants to today will be filled today. And I'm going to touch on this in a minute. If you've never been received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will today. If you have and you want to, you'll be filled again. But you don't have to wait till the end of the service. You can do it any time throughout the service as the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We, you don't need my permission, but if you need it, I give you permission. All right, you're not going to get in my way because, I, I, listen, if the Holy Spirit will come and I don't have to preach, it's easier on me. 
Well, why are you preaching? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, so Acts 1, 4 through 8, remember I said that it, when he said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It reminds me of this passage in Acts 1, 4 through 8. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which Jesus said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, he's talking to disciples that had already been born again because Jesus had gone on a mountaintop, spoke to them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. I believe that's when they were born again. But apparently, they needed something more. And Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, notice he doesn't say times. Because even though tongues, I believe, is the initial evidence of the, of the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not about tongues. It's about power. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, or the uttermost parts of the earth, depending on what translation you read. And then, as they waited in Jerusalem, in the day of, uh, uh, um, until the day of Pentecost, they didn't know it was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. They rented an upper room or they got one available to them. They spent 10 days while they're there. They prayed together, fasted together, waiting for the promise of the Father. And then on Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I believe this happened in the upper room. But in the next verse or two, it says, we hear them all speaking in our own language. What happened? I believe that what happened is what happened in the upper room broke out into the streets. And when they came out onto the streets, then all of a sudden everybody that was in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost heard them and they gathered around because they couldn't contain it in the upper room. So, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, go back. You can do the research and study for yourself. I'm not going to get into that this morning, you know. But the reality is I believe that's what happened. And when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be able to contain it in a room. It should lead us out into the streets, and people should say, what is this? And then we have the opportunity to tell them. In Acts 2, 12 through 15, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Because we hear them speaking another language. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. You see, when the day had fully come, it was 6 o'clock in the morning. But now they're filled with new wine, and Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, men, who, men of Judea who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That means it was nine o'clock. So they've been speaking in tongues for three hours. We get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we speak in tongues for ten seconds, and we check it off our list, and we're done. But that's not what's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen is the Spirit of God coming upon us is supposed to be more than just an event. It's supposed to be a continual experience that goes with us continually wherever we go. 
Am I making sense to you? So anyway, I want you to see here, though, however, that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, was encouraging the church to be filled, well, actually through Paul, was encouraging the church in our original text to be filled with the Spirit as opposed to the intoxicating influences of wine. However, I believe that being filled with the Spirit, like Peter was telling them, they weren't drinking wine, they were filled with the Spirit, that the effects are not, of being filled with the Spirit are intoxicating to us as people. In other words, the effects of being filled with the Spirit for some will be similar to being filled with wine. With wine, you become intoxicated by alcohol. When you get filled with the Spirit, you're still intoxicated, but you're intoxicated by God. And you can't get a DWI for being intoxicated by the Spirit of God. But you can for being intoxicated with alcohol. So what I'm trying to say to you is that if you have a need to drink, drink of the Spirit. And not only that, you don't have to waste your hard-earned money to go down to give it to Stop and Go or Valera or whatever the case may be. To get intoxicated. Jesus said, whoever is hungry or thirsty, come and eat, come and dine, come and sit at the table and eat for free. He paid a price for it. He paid for it, but for us, by faith, we receive it, and it doesn't cost us anything. But it gives us everything. I believe the Lord wants us to be so filled with the Spirit that the effects are not only intoxicating to us, but evidently so to the people around us who witness the Spirit's effects on us and through us. Luke 5, 37 through 38. No one puts not new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. The work that Jesus did on the cross made us new. We are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's into this new wine skit that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell, but it's also on this new wine skin that the Holy Spirit infills. Remember, when we're talking about infilling, we're talking about the coming in power. Now, what is it about, uh, what are some experiences that we can describe? Remember, he said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit couple of things that I brought out here. One is it should be a normal experience. The phrase to be filled with the Spirit implies that they know about it already. It's not an uncommon experience, but is biblically intended to be the normal Christian experience. In today's day and time in the church world, being filled with the Spirit has been pushed to what many people consider to be a fringe element of the church. But the reality is, uh, uh, it's not. From the beginning of the pages of the Bible, this was the normal Christian life. Are you saved? Yes. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? No. Then you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Today, not only is it considered fringe, but for some parts of the Christian world, it's considered to be a demonic experience. But it's not. 
It is a godly experience. It's God-ordained. It is the normal Christian experience. Scripture presents it as a different picture from what traditional normal Christianity presents today. The Spirit-filled life, according to the Bible, is the expectation and the norm for the church, for the believer, for the Christian who is uh, uh, walking out the Christian life. It's a normal experience. It's also a recurring experience. As we continue to look at these verses in Ephesians, we find that the word filled is the word plerao, which carries the sense of being or becoming generously supplied with to be filled up to complete full and overflowing. So what happens is that I have this, uh, when we moved into the house, um, um, I, I don't like Lake Jackson water. Any water that glows at night, I, I don't think I should be drinking. <laughs> so I bought a Brita filter. I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to, 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 to promote Brita. I just wanted some to filter my water. And so I bought this filter, and what happens is when you pour water into this filter, you know, then as you pour, it begins to filter out. But what you'll find is over the day is the water gets less and less and less and less. So somebody in the household has to put more water into that filter if we want to continue to enjoy the watering experience, right? Here's the thing. If in the Christian life, as we give out, we go down, down, and down, and down. But if you consider the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an event, you're not going to get filled up again. And the Lord wants us to continue to be overflowing. If you're down, you're not overflowing. Right? I went and got a, uh, it was hot yesterday. And so I said, I want an icy. I, we used to call them Slurpees, but I think they call them Icy's now. Is that what they call them? I said, I want an Icy. And uh, I went to the, to, uh, to the local store here and uh, got me an Icy. And I filled it up, went up, paid for it. And I got to the car and I realized, man, I forgot to boom, 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 boom the thing. Because if you don't boom, 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 boom the thing and you get to the car, you're like that much short. You know? And now I don't have an overflowing experience. I like to have a full experience, right? So normally, because I hadn't gotten one in a long time, you go, you go fill it up, and you go do, 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 and you fill it up until it gets to the top, right? Because you, you want to be full. At least I do, right? But I didn't go back and say, hey, man, I forgot the boom, boom, you know? I didn't do that. <laughs> I just went on my journey with, a, you know, a lack. I enjoyed what I had, but I could have used some more. You don't have to go and lack in your life, right? Every time you come to church, you can get a boom, boom. <laughs> you can do it again. Number, number three, it should be a fruitful experience. Let's look at how the verses themselves describe what that looks like when we're Filled to the full and overflowing. It says we're speaking to each other in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. 
Now, that today that doesn't mean that we're walking around going, oh, thou art so beautiful. It doesn't mean that. But it means that your speech will be different. Your attitude will be different. Listen, I love you guys. You're all family. But some of y'all walk around like Eeyore in the, you know, in the comic strips that was, whoa. You, you come to church. You may be fine at home, but you come to church and you're like, ooh. That's not a fruitful experience, right? You should be speaking, well, how you doing? The Lord is good. Well, you know what? The older I get, I got more aches and pains than I had when I was younger. I noticed that. But you know what? If I focus on those things, I can, I can develop into an Eeyore. But what I try to do, somebody said it here this morning about, about uh, uh, whatever you say is what you're going to receive in life. I try to declare the goodness of God. When I wake up in the morning, I feel my back and it's hurting. But I wake up and I say, thank you, God, for a good night's sleep. And I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I'm healed. I try to focus on the promises of God, right? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Sometimes I'm a little grumpy. I, I, I know that. But the reality is I try to focus on the Lord, and it will make a change in your life. There should be fruit to your experience. We are making melody to the Lord in our hearts. We are giving thanks to the Father. We're also submitting to one another in the fear of God, right? So it's a fruitful experience. What happens when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's in a few fruitful experiences. Number, number uh, uh, D, point D, is it's an expected experience. In the Greek, uh, the words be filled are written in the form of a command. In other words, it's not to be optional. Now, obviously, we have free will. We don't have to do it. We don't want to do it. It's totally up to us. But Jesus said uh, uh, through Paul, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, be filled. If you were in boot camp and they said, do this, you understand, I don't got a choice. Well, you're not in boot camp. You're in the church. And Jesus is a gentleman, but he still commands. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you have a choice to either obey or disobey, but it is a command, right? In other words, it's not to be optional, but it's the imperative of the Lord and the imperative of God that we be filled with with the Spirit. Peter said in Acts 2, 38-39, to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, he could have said, generally, we need to repent and be baptized. But he didn't. He said, repent and be baptized. And if I was directing a movie, I'd probably have Peter say, you point up, boom, boom, boom. You point to each and every one of them. You say, every one of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive. Who? Every one of you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, and it includes everyone, as if he didn't include everyone already, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Acts 19 and 2, Paul comes to the, some believers in Ephesus, and the first question he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Paul says, well, let me tell you about it. And he told them about it, laid hands on them. They began to speak in other tongues. They received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is an expected experience. 
and then we're going to look at the last thing, and it sounds like the one before, and to be honest with you, I probably wrote this thing and, and had it in there twice, but I tried to make it relevant for today. It's supposed to be a continual experience. I said before it was recurring experience. It should happen once and then happen again and then happen again, but the reality is it should be continual, not just an experience, an event, an event, an event, an event. It should be a continuing thing. It's like, I'm going to go visit the spring, and then I'm going to go home. I'm going to go visit the spring, and I'm going to go home. No, you know what? I'm going to hook up to the spring and bring the spring home. A continuing event, Ephesians 5.18, and the Amplified says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Another thing we should know from this directive is that the word is written in the progressive tense. That means it's supposed to happen again and again. Be not drunk with wine, but be and continue to be and continue to be and continue to be because that's what progressive means, filled with the Spirit. Another way of Paul, Paul is telling us in this verse is to phrase it and be filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. So to put it together biblically, believers are commanded to continue to be filled again and again by the Spirit of God so that we can be in a state of continual fullness to the point of overflowing. If you're not overflowing, you're not full. Well, I, t I tell you what, I think the best thing to do is I could, I could uh, talk about it some more, but let's, let's move into what the Holy Spirit is doing already. Some of us can just receive it just, just by being, but some of us do better when somebody lays hands on us, prays for us, responds to something. So if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope we've in, in, at least enough touched on the fact that this is supposed to be the normal Christian experience. What's going to happen if I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the most important thing is you're going to receive power. How do I know I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You're going to speak in a language you do not understand. If you speak Spanish and English then you're not going to speak Spanish and English when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to speak in a language you do not know. Is it going to be an earthly language? Maybe. It could be a presently earthly language. It could be a, a dead earthly language. Or it could be a heavenly language. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is not going to speak for you. It, we are going to speak in another language. The Holy Spirit will provide the utterance. So when we pray for you, God's going to come upon you. Lord, move to this side over here. Move to this side over here. Whatever angel there is on this side, let him move on this side over here. <laughs> this is Jerusalem, Judea. We're still, we haven't got to Samaria yet. When we pray for you, we're going to lay hands on you. We're just going to put our hands on you and pray with you. We're going to do our part. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and then it's up to you to do your part by providing the voice. And the only reason I tell you that is because sometimes people will just sit there and sit there and sit there <laughs> waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak through them. He's not going to take over your vocal cords, but he will direct you. As you begin to give the voice, 
he will begin to direct it in the way that uh, it should go. I'm